0: So I don't know if you were like me or not, that uh, you look down and suddenly it was it was the Christmas had come, and then it's time for the new year, and you're thinking, 2022 already? I don't know. It, it, the thing about it with me is that oftentimes I'm beginning to think that everything just happens a lot faster than it used to when I was a kid. I've got my own uh, reasons for thinking that, but I can remember as a kid, it seemed like one year to the next, one Christmas to the next Christmas Seemed like a decade, you know. It just took forever to get there, and now you blink, and and if I don't miss my guess too much, for many of us in this room, we're going to blink. It's going to feel like a couple of months are going to pass, and we're going to be right back here, and we're going to be celebrating twenty twenty three. That's the way it's going to feel, and 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 that's just that's I guess that's just the new the new normal uh, as you get older, and that's just the way it works. Many of you are probably like me though. and, and you may have experienced this in the past. This past year was a, was a, a tough one for me personally and for my family. Um, having had to say goodbye to my dad almost exactly a year ago, a couple of days, it'll be a year. Um, we've had to make some tough adjustments and go through some, some difficult times in, in, in trying to figure out what new, the new normal is going to be for us. Many of you know what that's like because you've gone through it yourself. You understand that. You know what it means to say goodbye to someone you love. Um, and I have no doubt that many of you are are like me in, in that you come to the end of the year that in which that has occurred and you find yourself hoping for better results in the next year. You find yourself hoping for, for new wonderful moments to experience. You find yourself for those who are struggling through physically, you hope to find yourself having some healthier days. You hope to find yourself maybe having some more prosperous times. I also imagine though, that some of you are like me and, um, while you're hoping for better days this new year, secretly you're worried about what the new year might actually hold. Um, I think back to just a couple of years ago when we rang in this new decade of the Roaring 2020s, right? And uh, we, we many of us were probably excited about what this new decade was going to be. But two years ago today, um, none of us knew exactly what 2020 was going to usher in and how the world was going to change, not only in that year but in the one that we've just just recently come through in 2021, and frankly, because of that, it makes a person like me a little hesitant to get too giddy about what might come in the future. The reality is none of us know what's going to happen. God knows what will happen, and God has told us, trust in me. I'm the sovereign king of the universe. You can trust in me. I know what's coming, and your confidence is not in your circumstances and not in what's going to take place in the new year. Your confidence needs to rest completely in me. And so we've been we've commanded to, to live that way in Scripture, according to Scripture. But here's what I believe. The truth is, is that 2022, like all the years before it, will have some moments in it that will be so precious to us that we'll want to savor every last second of it. But I also believe that 2022, for many of us, will have... Moments in it that will be so painful, we'll never want to taste it again. There'll be both blessings and there'll be burdens that'll come just like there has been in every previous year that we've lived. You know, King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 that there's nothing new under the sun. And while that may sound a lot of fatalistic, it may sound just pessimistic in many ways, Solomon's words are actually a sobering reminder to us that as long as sin and its effects continue to exist and to thrive in this world, the reality is there will not be anything new under the sun. Every year will bring with it pleasure, but it will also bring pain. So if that's the case, then maybe we should ask ourselves why, as the people of God Is there really any reason for us to celebrate? Do we have a reason to rejoice? Do we have a reason to get excited? Do we have a reason to actually celebrate a new year? Well, I want to make the case this morning that emphatically that yes, we do. As people of God, as believers, as Christians, as those whose faith is in Jesus Christ, We have every reason to rejoice. We have every reason to be hopeful. And we have every reason to celebrate today, if for no other reason, because we know that the dawning of a new year actually represents that we are one year closer to when we are going to be at home in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the time is going to come when he's going to make all things new. And I believe that that is something that ought to generate a great amount of joy and a great amount of hope in our lives. And that's what I want us to consider together together today. This morning, I want us to think through what has been for me a thrilling passage to contemplate and to meditate on, particularly over the last few weeks. If you have your Bibles and you have already done so, if you haven't, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. On this first Sunday of the new year, I want us to turn to the last book of the Bible and almost to the last chapter, to the next to the last chapter. And I want us to ponder this promise from the Lord Jesus here in this passage where he says, Behold, I make all things new. I want you to know there ought to be something that stirs within you when you read those words from our Lord and Savior. Let's go back and read the entire passage from verse 1 down through verse 8 of Revelation 21. The Bible says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Brothers and sisters, this, this is the word of God and it is for the people. Of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that you give it to us, and we thankful for the promises that are contained there. Promises that are real. Promises that are, are hope-giving. Things that oftentimes we may not focus on nearly as much as we should. So I pray that today, that just in these next few moments, we will we will s- steady our minds and and help us to be able to focus on that which you tell us so clearly in this passage. May it rejuvenate us. May it comfort the brokenhearted this morning. Excite those that that the joy of their salvation may have lost its luster. Father, that it will bring conviction to those who do not know you. That is my prayer. I ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Um. Over the last few weeks, and over the last year, but particularly over the last couple of weeks and the last few days, I've thought a lot about my dad and not just about the time a year ago when he was at the hospital right now. And, um, but I've thought about a lot of the, others, the, the the some of the small things, things that you know just occurred, stuff that I don't even know sometimes why it even comes to my mind, but it does. And, and I was thinking the other day uh, about dad, and, and dad always had a recliner that he sat in. And that was his spot. And and when I was younger, it was kind of fun because he'd get up and leave the room, and I'd go get in it, you know, and uh, and sometimes he'd come back in the room and he'd see it and he'd kind of smile at me and he "Don't get too comfortable in that chair, son." And I knew what he meant. I knew I was going to have to move, right? And uh, but honestly, I think that that whole idea, "Don't get too comfortable in that chair," is really a good way to understand what what the Lord is telling us here in Revelation 21. You see. We, we tend to, to get settled in our lives and we tend to get comfortable in this world. But what we read here in Revelation 21 tells us don't get too settled. Don't get too comfortable in this world or with the way that your lives are going because all of that is going to change. And it's all going to be made new. In fact, the first four verses of this, of this passage kind of tell us how that is going to be. And, and what we see, there's the first point that I want you to note on your outline. The first major point is this. We see that there's a new reality that's coming. The new reality that is coming. Remember the, the, the opening verse of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1? It says, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and, and what the Scripture is going to reveal is that that earth... It was a place of perfection and it was a place that was prepared for the first man and for the first woman to be able to, to live and along with their descendants in the full fellowship of God and to live in perfect peace and, and in perfect harmony. But then according to what we read in Genesis 3, the sin of our first parents marred that creation and it ushered death and it ushered destruction and decay into God's beautiful world. And that's the world that we live in now. That's the world that we see, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, verse 22, it groans under the weight of that sin. But I want you to notice that John's revelation here in Revelation 21, verse 1, tells us that a new reality is coming. Because the Lord is going to make, notice the first sub-point that I've got there under that first major point, God is going to make a new creation. John writes, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, if if we were to go back to the previous chapter, chapter 20, verse 11, we'd find that the first heaven and the first earth fled away from the presence of God and there was found no place for them, John writes. Well, that reality is confirmed for us again in what I read for you earlier in verse 4 of chapter 21, because the former things have passed away. Therefore, what we come to understand, according to verse 1, is that God is telling us that a new creation is going to come about. He's going to create something new. And when he does, he will fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 65, verse 17, where the Lord says, For behold, I created new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. This is what the apostle Peter writes to us about in 2 Peter 3, verse 13. He says, according to God's promise, we look for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And and Paul speaks about this too in the New Testament. He speaks about the future reality this way in Romans 8, verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So very clearly, right there in verse 1, we are promised that a new creation is going to come for which we ought to look forward to. But that's not all. Notice the next subpoint: We look forward to the fact that we will be made new creatures. We're going to be made new creatures. Now, there's a sense in which we understand that's already occurred, right? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. In fact, that verse really is a great understanding of all that's written for us here in Revelation 21. It tells us that the old has gone away and the new has come. And that's happened to believers. When we come to faith in Christ, we have been created new. But there's also a sense in which we have not fully realized that transformation, right? Think about what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. And the stuff that I know I need to do, I find myself not doing it. And it causes him to lament very loudly in Romans 7 verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, he's got his answer right here in Revelation 21. God says, I am going to deliver you from that body of death, Paul. And he's not just going to deliver Paul from it. He's going to deliver all of his children from that body of death. And how do we understand that? Well, we we know it based upon what we read there in verse 2. John writes this, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. if if, if Caroline lets me live to to January the 10th, we will be married 24 years. And that's awesome, 24 years. I still remember the day that I stood in front of the church there in Greenville, South Carolina, and I looked back and I saw her walk through the door and I saw her in that white wedding dress. She was just absolutely stunning. She kind of made my heart stop. And I cried in the first service, and I'm not going to cry in this one, I'm not. I'm just not. <laughs> but I saw her, and I thought, I can't, I can't believe that she's going to marry me. She's, she's beautiful. She still walks in the door, and I think that way. Now, that's not, shouldn't be lost on us that God uses that kind of imagery, that kind of relationship to describe what it's like For the bride, the church, to come and be married to to Christ for all eternity. And when he sees her, how beautiful she is. In fact, he takes that same imagery and talks about it further in verses 9 through 11. I didn't read that for you, but let me do it for you now because I think it's important. He's talking about the bride and he says... Verse nine, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now this is the church. This is the bride that's being described here. And what I want you to notice is that God, when he gives his glory to the church there in verse 11, that is what completes the transformation that was begun when we came to faith in Christ that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's completed when the glory of God is given to us. And when that is completed, look, we will be as pure and as clear when someone looks at us just as a, just as a crystal stone Nothing to hide. Nothing of which to be ashamed. Pure. Clean. That's that's the transformation that is coming our way. And what I want you to know is that's the first sense in which we recognize that this newness of us as a creation is going to come. But we must also recognize as new creatures, we're not only going to be made new spiritually, we're going to be made new physically as well. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, we are not going to live in heaven as disembodied spirits. We will not be ghosts, ethereal ghosts that just sort of float around and strum harps on a cloud. Do not buy into that. That is not what heaven is about. No, God intends to make all things new, even our bodies we will we'll come back to these words in just a moment, but just think about what he says later there in verse 4. There's not going to be any more tears in heaven, no more pain in heaven, no more, no more suffering in heaven, no more death. If they don't mean anything else, what it means is that our bodies are going to be changed. We're going to have new bodies that will be different from the ones that we have here. But let me remind you of what Paul writes in Philippians three, verse 20 and 21. He says, "Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Listen, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself." When Jesus rose from the dead, listen, he rose as a physical body. He, he had a physical he ate, he could be touched, He walked around but he had had a physical body, but it was a perfect body, just like ours will be one day. What we experience in this life is gradual and sometimes not so gradual deterioration of our bodies. We experience disease and deformities and broken bones and blindness and deafness. Some have issues with blood disorders. Some have diabetes. Some have heart-related issues. Some have high blood pressure, breathing issues, The list could go on and on and on of ways in which our bodies have been affected by disease and decay. But listen, God has no intention of leaving us like that. One day, we will receive a body just like Christ's resurrected body. And everything crooked and everything broken will be straightened and it will be mended as Paul says in Romans 6, we will be united with Christ in a resurrection just like his. and We will be new creatures. We will be new creatures spiritually. We will be new creatures physically. And that should give us every reason to rejoice this morning. But I want you to know, I still don't think it's the best news. Because notice what happens next. According to verse 3 on your outline, we're also going to receive a new communion. A new communion. John writes in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, understand, I think based upon what we read elsewhere in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, for example, as believers, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. and What that means is the Holy Spirit dwells within us even now. I think it's also important for us to note that even as Jesus gave the great commission for us to go and and to make disciples of all nations, he even promises us at the end of that, in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. So in a very real sense, we, we live with the promise that the Spirit inhabits us now and the presence of Christ is with us all the time. However, I think it's also true for us, to, that we ought to recognize, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7, that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Why? He says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, there is an intimacy, there is a communion that we do not currently have that will one day be ours to enjoy. In fact, I believe that that is the greatest glory of heaven because it will be the ultimate restoration of that which was lost with the fall. Spurgeon put it this way. He says, the glory of Eden did not lay in all the beauty of the garden itself, but in the the fact that the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Here was Adam's highest privilege that he had companionship with the Most High. What we learn here in Revelation 21 is that, com- that companionship is going to be restored. In the new cosmos, God will once again dwell with his people in an intimate, uninterrupted covenant relationship. We will enjoy a new communion with him. So that's the new reality that's coming. And it's the reason why we as believers can rejoice and celebrate and have hope is because there's a new creation that's coming. There's, we are going to be made new creatures And we will have a new communion with God. And then notice the last sub point there. We will also experience a new condition. A new condition. Look at those words again there in verse 4. Because you see, in this life, what we experienced in 2021, many will likely experience it again in 2022. It's a world in which tears and death and sorrow and pain all visit us at some level of regularity. But in heaven, the new condition in which we will exist is described as being absence. From all of that. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow and the weeping that accompanies that. There will be no more pain. How is that possible? Well, it's because the former things have passed away. And I think it's because of exactly what we learned in verse 3. That we now dwell in the presence of God. And when we dwell in that presence with God, all sin and all of its effects are banished from us. Gone will be the days of the effects of sin that they have on us here in this life. We won't face that anymore. It'll all be put away. And as we have that new communion, we will experience this new condition right alongside it. And all of the effects of death and disqualification and disaster and sorrows for sins past will be completely removed. And God will protect us from the effects of sin ever again. I love the way that James Hamilton has provided this encouragement, his commentary on this passage. He says, God is going to dwell with you and comfort you. So find in that hope the resolution to all tension, the comfort for all sorrow, the healing from every disaster, and the consolation that swallows up every disappointment. God is greater than all your pain. Brothers and sisters, we have every reason to be excited and to be hope-filled. And to be joyful today. If you are a believer, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then I want, you know, all of we have discussed in the first four verses, this is your reality. This is what's coming your way. You have every reason to be excited. You have every reason to say hallelujah. Some of you ought to say it right now. This is the reason why we ought to be excited at the beginning of a new year. This is coming for you. If you're not a believer... If you've never trusted in Jesus, let me ask you this. What more could you want than what's promised you here? What what could you possibly imagine that would give you greater joy than that which is given to us right here in these first four verses? What could ever ever trump that which God of the universe gives to those who are his own? A A new heaven and a new earth that's clean and pure and unbroken, a new body that doesn't struggle with sin anymore, a body that doesn't grow old and doesn't experience the pain and the suffering that we know to be normative here, to have a communion with God where we can walk with him and talk with him and he tells us that we are his own and to know for sure that all of the bad stuff that we experience in this life never touches us again. What more could you want than that? Now you might say, "Well, that sounds really good, Pastor Craig." But uh, how can I know that that's true? I mean, you you say that, but how do I know for the for sure? That all that, I'm so glad that you asked that because I think the Lord intended for us to ask that. And I think he wanted us to ask that so that he could provide us with the answer. And so the second major point that I want you to see this morning is we get a royal confirmation. We get a royal confirmation of that promise right there in the middle of this text. Back in chapter 20, verse 11, John wrote this. He said, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Well, notice in verse 5, he says, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. In other words, this promise that we're banking everything on here. This promise of being everything being made new is made by the only person, the, excuse me, the only one, the only being who could ever sit on the throne from whom everything flees away from him. He is the King of the Universe. Everything in the Universe is subservient to him. This is the one who makes this promise. God Himself. Back years ago, when I was in sales, and I traveled in the various parts of the country, and and had products that I was selling into, into certain industries and various things, I would sit and, you know, you'd make these appointments and you would go in and, and uh, you'd kind of do your homework and you'd know sort of what you were getting into and you knew who you were talking to and you go in and you, uh, I've got this product line, I'd love to be able to show you how it works and demonstrate it. And, and you get to the end and you've, you've, you've gone through the whole process of, of, of making the sales pitch and you get to that point where you need to get a purchase order. And, and you need to get them to say, hey, I'm going to commit to buying this product from you. And you suddenly figure out that the person you've been talking to and really trying to get to come to your side is not the person who actually makes those decisions. Because they say, you know, I've got to go talk to, I got to, go talk to the, the, the person that I report to. And, so. and there's, there's, there's little that, that kind of disappoints you and deflates you more than that. What I want you to know, such is not the case with God. There is no one higher up than him. Whatever he says is what it will be. He does not seek approval from a higher authority. All of heaven and earth fled away from his presence in reverential awe and fear. He is the royal ruler of the universe, and it is he who says that he will make all things new. You can trust this royal king of the universe who confirms his promise. But notice also in verse 5, he says, write, for these words are true and faithful. God effectively puts his reputation on the line by having what he says written down. And he guarantees that he's going to fulfill every promise he's ever made. In fact, everything, if you go back and you do a really good cross-reference of this passage The first eight verses that you find here are all fulfillments of everything that's been prophesied in Old Testament passages again and again and again. In other words, what I'm telling you is, is that God always keeps his promises. He's never slack on keeping them. He always does. And he puts everything down in writing so that it can be cross-referenced and come up with God always does what he says. But then there's a third confirmation. He said to me, It is done. In verse six, you know, there's there's not much better than if you go to your kid and you say, hey, listen, uh, uh, I need you. I need you to take care of this while I'm gone. Can you unload the dishwasher and then reload it? Because, you know, that 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 piece of equipment in our house is used often. And so I need you to unload a dishwasher and reload it. And, and one of them look at done. It's done, dad. It's done. And, you know, you love that. You know why? Because that gives you this sense of assurance that that's going to be taken care of. I don't have to worry about that anymore. That's exactly what God does here. He's told us what he's going to do, and then he says, write this down, it is done. He speaks to us in such a way that we can have confidence that everything he says is going to happen is as sure and as absolutely certain as if it's already occurred. It is done. But he's still not done confirming to us what he said because he also goes on to say, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, like A and Z are for hours. And what he is saying is there's nothing that came before me, there's nothing that's coming after me. I am the beginning and the end. I see it all from the first to the last. And so everything, I'm not bound by time. I have all of the ability. The one who has no beginning and has no end has all the ability to do anything within time he wants to do. And so he has the wherewithal to do it. He has the desire to do it. He has the power to do it. And so he does it and he confirms it to us over and over and over again. He will bring what he says he will do to pass. He gives us royal confirmation. And I want you to know in a very real sense, we could stop right there. And some of you are thinking we are, but probably all all, we we probably should. But I want you to know that there's there's this last part that I think is important. Because. What we recognize is is that as believers, we have every reason to be hope-filled. We have every reason to experience joy today. We have every every reason, even though we may be going through some of the most difficult moments in our lives right now. We have every reason to be hopeful because of these promises. But I want to point out to you that based upon what we read in the last part part of this passage, not all that God makes new will be enjoyed by everyone. In fact, notice the last point on your outline. In the last verses, we see the rewards and the consequences that John writes about. The rewards and the consequences. In the middle of verse 6, God says through John the Revelator, He says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. There's two words there that I think you ought to write down. The first one, or underline it, however you do, is the word thirsts. Listen, we all know what it means to be thirsty. To be so thirsty that, that your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth, you're just parched. And at those moments, all I can think about when it happens to me is I just need some water. I need, I need some cool, I need some wet, refreshing water. I want that. There's a, when you're really, truly thirsty, there's nothing that you want more than some water to drink. God says that ought to be the way you feel about me in the pit of your soul. You need to thirst for me. You need need to hunger for me. You need to desire me more than anything else. I can think about this that, that Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Jesus in John chapter 7 verse 37 says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In Revelation 22 verse 1, just the next chapter over from the one we're studying, we read that proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb is a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. Listen, what all these passages point us to is that we should thirst for the water of life more than we thirst for anything else in life. Is that true for you? Do you thirst for the Lord more than you do anything else? I want you to think about that for just a moment. Think about what it is that drives you more than anything else in your life. Are you thirsty for God? The first word is thirst. The second word is, is overcomes. That's the other word you ought to line. Overcomes. Because you see, that word means to conquer. That word means to be victorious. And as one has put it, overcomers are those whose lives are characterized by a refusal to compromise their faith despite the threat of persecution. They are the ones who will stand firm and remain faithful. After all, they are the ones who have found that the only one who can satisfy the deepest thirst of their soul is God. So, so they will not be moved. They will, they will not be shaken. And then notice the rewards that come from that. God says that for those who overcome, they will inherit all things. He will be their God. They will be his children. In other words, we could say it this way, and I love it. This is, this is my way of it. They're thirsty overcomers. And the thirsty overcomers will inherit every good thing that is promised in Scripture. And all of those good things will be theirs to enjoy for all eternity. That, are, that is the rewards for you as a believer this morning if you are a thirsty overcomer. It is promised to you that every good thing promised in Scripture will be yours to enjoy and to satisfy you for all eternity. That's a wonderful reward but I want you to know the coming reality is not just about rewards, it is about consequences as well. Because those who find their thirst outside of God, those who pursue things apart from the Lord himself, God identifies them here. And he tells us what the utterly catastrophic consequences are. Notice how they're described there in verse 8. You see, rather than being committed people, these are cowardly people. Rather than being believing, they are unbelieving. Rather than pleasing the Lord, they are abominable to the Lord. Rather than respecting the lives of others and sacrificing for others, they're they're referred to as murderers. Rather than regulating their sexuality according to what the Scriptures teach, they are considered to be sexually immoral. Rather than worshiping the omnipotent God, they instead use witchcraft and become sorcerers in an attempt to manipulate their own circumstances. And then they become idolaters because they begin worshiping that which was created rather than the one who created it. And then rather than living according to the truth, God says they are liars. In other words, they they speak out lies, but they live out lies as well. For all of those that are described there in verse 8, there is a significant warning that if they persist in their unbelief and they refuse to turn to God in repentance, they will get what they deserve. The consequences will be that they will end up suffering for eternity in a lake of fire and brimstone, which God says is the second death. And I want you to know that is a coming reality of both consequences and rewards. That is why this passage is so infinitely applicable to every one of us in this room. You see, the time that we spent thinking about this this morning is not just some pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. It's not some ethereal, otherworldly thing that we just kind of wispy out there, nebulous. No, it's not... It's not one of those things where people are too heavenly minded to be too any earthly, to be any earthly good. You've heard that too. None of that is the case. These words that are written for us here in Revelation 21 remind us of the reality that every human being will spend eternity in one of two places and that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And what we come to realize is that in the end, every single one of us will stand before the God of heaven and earth the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And when we do, there will not be one single one of us who will be able to buy our way into heaven and enjoy the rewards that are offered here. On our own, we will never experience heaven apart from what Christ has done for us. In fact, on our own, all we have hope of experiencing are the consequences of our sin. But the good news of the gospel is that for those who thirst for God, those, those who thirst and hunger for his righteousness, those who recognize their unworthiness and turn to God in faith and place their trust in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, whom he has sent to take away our sins. Well, there is a coming reality that is so fantastic and it is so wonderful and it is so spectacular that words cannot fully Describe it. Our minds can't even get wrapped around that reality. And consequently, though the year 2022 is is upon us, and though we recognize that it will likely usher in for us the realities that we have experienced in much of the rest of the years that we've lived, for those of us who've trusted in Christ, for those who are believers and whose hope is in Jesus, we have every reason to celebrate this new year because we realize we're one step closer to heaven. And that's what brings me to my sermon in a sentence this morning. My sermon in a sentence is this. The dawning of the new year reminds believers that we have a new heaven and a new earth to look forward to, where we will live in God's presence and be satisfied by his pleasures forever. Let me ask you, is that the reality that you're looking forward to? Are you thirsting for Christ and and the satisfaction that he brings more than anything else? Have you trusted in him to save you and to change you from the inside out? I want you to know that there is no better way to begin this new year than by giving yourself completely to him. Now, if you have, brother and sister, you have every reason to rejoice and you have every reason to celebrate the hope that is ours in Christ. The coming reality that is promised to us and is confirmed by our royal sovereign king is so great and so grand that we cannot completely fathom it. But what we know is that the curse of sin will be removed and we will experience a relationship with the Lord that will bring joy and happiness and peace for all eternity. And it is my prayer that you have that hope and that it will lead you to embrace all that God has planned for you in this new year. Brothers and sisters, this this is the word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy, and I thank you for the salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ, and for the reality of the hope of heaven, that one day all the things that, constrain us and all the things that harm us and all the, the wickedness that we have adapted to in so many ways will one day be completely removed. And I'm thankful that the struggles, the internal fights that we have in ourselves to do what's right and so, but we don't do it and the things that we want to do we, we don't do. The things that we want to steer clear of, we seem to end up there. I'm grateful that that's all going to be settled. I'm grateful that there'll never be another day of parting. We'll never have to stand by another graveside. We'll Never have to say goodbye. There'll never be another tear of sorrow. We will be able to look into your eyes and see you. And enjoy the smile that you have for us and we will be changed my prayer is that you would encourage us that you'd give us strength to continue to fight the fight that you've given us to fight here in this world and that we do it with hope Help us to continue to share the good news of that hope with others who don't have it. Father, I pray if there's one in this room today who doesn't have it, that they won't leave before you have saved them completely from their sins. So Father, I pray for humility and the ability to receive that which you have given. I ask these things in the name of Christ.